We're talking even more uh, 2021 NFL draft reaction on Roto-Viz Radio. What's up, Roto-Viz? Welcome into the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. I'm Dave Cabin, alongside Travis May, our deputy coordinator and host of the College to Canton podcast, and a man that is crushing it so much. I'm not sure that we're going to let Curtis even come back. <laughs> uh, yeah, you had a good run, Curtis. It's been great. I, I, I do, I do love hanging out with you, and uh, I like your voice. It's really, it's really sexy to be honest. But yeah, I, I'm moving in. So. <laughs> <laughs> yes, Curtis definitely uh, definitely has the radio voice out of the... He's uh, got that going. <laughs> he definitely has that going. Uh, he's got a great video, radio voice. Colum has a terrific voice. Um, you listen to that and you just feel like peaceful and serene. Um, yeah. But I think you're doing pretty good, Travis. So I'm looking well, forward to uh, popping in here to close out our third episode of the week. Now, we get to start with a tight end here. Hunter Long, who last week, or not last week, last episode, we were talking about some of the young up-and-coming prospects from your state of Tennessee. I live in New Hampshire, a state not known for producing uh, NFL-caliber players, really athletes at all. Uh, in fact, it's such <laughs> a small general, list that I can name them. Uh, it's like uh, Matt Bonner, who played for the Spurs for a while, who was really good. Um and, uh, you know, we had it. There was a pitcher in baseball who's escaping me right now. Dave Philistine, who played at Maryland, went to my rival high school, played in the NFL, I think for the Seahawks for a bit. And I literally may have just described just about everybody that has come out of yeah. New Hampshire. No, it's okay. Like my, where I'm from, there's like nobody. Like we've got Jay Cutler. Like but who cares? Yeah. Like, <laughs> like yeah. He, and by the way, Jay Cutler is from Santa Claus, Indiana. That's like oh wow. Yeah, that's that's a <laughs> legit place. That, that's real. You can go to Holiday World. Like it used to be just just Santa Claus Land initially. So check it out. Get oh wow. Free, free, then they got free sunscreen and free soft drinks. There you go, Holiday World. Get, get sponsored on Rotoviz. Boom. <laughs> nice. So Hunter Long, actually from Exeter, New Hampshire, went to Boston College on his career receiving dominator of .2. Um, in his 2020 junior season, ends at 22.3 years of age, 11 games, five touchdowns, receiving market share of .24. Uh, you know, those are the type of numbers that you're going to see from tight ends as they enter the league. Does comp with guys like Jason Morrow, Lance Kendricks, Aaron Hernandez, Jared Cook, the most exciting one you can get. Travis, Kelsey, not sure if we really want to say that that's a super good comp. Uh, then, of course, you guys like Jake Butt, Josh Oliver, Ed Dixon, Cole Komet, and Jonu Smith. He was fast, put up a 86th percentile, 40, weighs 254, stands 6'5". Your thoughts on Hunter Long and if it's possible that Miami thinks he could be what they were hoping they would get with Mike Kosicki. Of course, some people might argue that what they got with Mike Kosicki is pretty good, but it's interesting that they made this pick. Yeah, so I, I liked Hunter Long, uh, especially after his 2019 season, which was his sophomore year at Boston College. Boston College doesn't really throw the ball a bunch. They, they're not known for just churning out a bunch of NFL wide receivers. Like, they were good back when Matty Ice was there, uh, and, and they finally found a, a signal caller in Phil Jerkovic this this past year. And Zay Flowers, uh, their lead wide receiver, probably has an NFL 
uh, career that could kick off next year as well. But Hunter Long really stood out as this rare kind of almost deep threat or, or yak threat uh, in 2019. Only had 28 catches, but took those 28 catches for over 500 yards as a tight end. And in college, that doesn't happen for the most part. Like uh, production profiles for tight ends are just bad, just frankly awful in college football across the board. And to, to be as efficient as he was on those 30 receptions, that said, hey, there's some potential. Enter 2020. They bring in a, a competent passer. Uh, they, they start airing it out. And after like week three or so, Hunter Long's actually leading the nation for part of an afternoon in receptions. And so like you're like, oh my gosh, this guy might have a chance. I look into him more and I realize, holy cow, this dude was running in like the four or fives in high school. This guy is going to be a top tight end next spring. And so I was like, I was getting really pumped. And when he actually got day two capital, it's like, okay, all right, I, you got my attention. He was he was my tight end four before, probably my tight end three or four now. Uh, really excited about what Wong could do. Yeah, that's really, really interesting. And, of course, this is a team that has added now Jalen Waddell in the draft. Um, you know, you have Tua at quarterback. It's a young team. Um they did not address the running back position, which is interesting with Miles Gaskin. But we have an interesting picture here of what this team could look like. Um, so, you know, like I think as far as the tight ends in this class go, you still should be kind of interested in him. Of course, there's a couple other names we'll talk about later. And uh, one of those actually let's skip down to it. We'll skip a player that you said sure. you could talk about for 60 minutes and let's hit on. Tommy Tremble, <laughs> uh, who I actually, you know what? It's so funny. I forgot. Do you remember what pick he went at? Um, I I don't the exact uh, not the exact pick slot. I don't. All right, he was let's a look this guy up. as well. Yeah, round let's, three. Let's look this up live. Um, sure. Great radio. I'm looking up. Perfect. Tommy Tremble went to the Carolina Panthers at uh, in the third round at pick. Uh, we are about to find out here. At pick I love, 83. Your, I love your stall your stall voice. Thank yeah, you. pick eighty three. Okay, yeah, that's not bad. I mean, once you once you get out like the top seventy or so, that's yeah, you know, that, that's a solid solid day two pick. Yeah. So yeah. this is a guy that went to Notre Dame. If you pull up his profile, you will see on his career just four touchdowns, just four hundred yards. Is there a backstory to this? Does Notre Dame does not? utilize the tight end position at all uh what should we do with this a player with four career touchdowns and just 400 yards as a tight end going at pick 83 to carolina so notre dame and brian kelly they're interesting because they can actually develop the heck out of like some three-star guys on the defensive side of the ball uh, and even, you know, some offensive playmakers, they'll do that. But when they get a really good player with tons of pedigree, uh, they, they generally just forget that they're on the team. So <laughs> like their senior year and they're like, oh, hey, uh, oh, crap, we got to get you drafted. Here's 50 catches. And like they just they they do that all the time. Like even Claypool, like he had a later breakout. Equinemius St. Brown kind of had an imperfect production profile from our standards. Um you know, even like the top names that you would know, uh, that's what they do. Like Kevin Austin was supposed to be a thing this year. Didn't work out. Javon McKinley ended up being the dude. Who the heck is that guy? Like, they, they, they just really waste top-tier talent. 
and uh, don't mess around with targeting the tight, end, tight ends enough, even like their top ones, like Elise Mack, um, you know, and other, a few other names. But they, they finally started targeting their five-star tight end this year, Michael Mayer. But you're going to have to wait to see him in the NFL till 2023. So sorry about that wait. But Tommy Trimble just was not the receiving tight end because they're like, hey, you're an offensive lineman slash monster of a person that can throw people around with one arm. We should probably have you block some. And so he just does that. Like you should just Google Tommy Trimble blocking highlights. There's real, there's, there's people make highlight reels of just him throwing people around. It's great. And so, (laughs) and so like that's, he's going to do that and have a, a high snap count early on. But I also believe he can, he can catch the ball too. He only has like 35 receptions, but he can do it, and, and he's got athleticism more than I thought he had. Ran what a four six. He's got vertical speed. He's got the size, prototypical size, and and he can throw people around. Like I said, with one arm and dominate. So I think he's going to have a significant role. Uh, and he's actually moved up. Uh, I believe actually I double checked, and he is my tight end three now. He was I believe my tight end five prior to the draft. All right, hey, that's um, you, you know, you could do a, you could do a lot worse than that. So that's that's really interesting. Um, and, and tight ends always, I feel like, such a tough position to try to make sense of, just because the body works from college are so small. So, you know, a lot of players you could point to their total career production, and if you're trying to think of it through a wide receiver lens, it's just not going to be there. So we'll have to see how that pans out. But the player that I think you are going to be most excited to talk about this evening is Diami Brown who went at pick 82 to Washington, comes out of North Carolina, career receiving dominator of .26, 21 receiving touchdowns in 32 games, comps to guys like Randall Cobb, uh, Brian Hartline, Josh Reynolds, Deontay Johnson, Bruce Ellington, Kiki Kute. What do you think of, of Brown? Why do you like him so much? And is this a landing spot that he can prosper in given that the team recently brought in Curtis Samuel also has Terry McLaurin. Yeah, we're looking at a guy who has a career over the past two years. He's got a deeper average depth of a target than any other wide receiver in, in, in the entirety of Division One football, uh, both seasons. Led, led by far, it was about, by multiple yards even in terms of average depth of target last fall. Uh, and and still really cleaned up any drop issues that that some people expressed were a concern after the 2019 season. But we're looking at a guy that has two 1,000-plus-yard seasons with at least 50 catches, averaging about 20 yards per uh, over two years and just dominating as a vertical threat, not even just relying on his speed, but doing so through technique. And I think that that's really underrated. And then you will get his production profile from any lens, and it's good enough. He he comes in with a 71st percentile uh, adjusted production index. Uh, Of course, looking at his dominator rating, his yards per team, um, excuse me, yards per team pass attempt, and his touchdowns per team pass attempt, proving that he can take on, oh, you know, over 30% of an offense and be efficient in doing so, uh, having like yards per team pass attempt marks, you know, 90th percentile plus, uh, and, and scoring at a pretty high rate as well. Uh, really just love what he does. And if you look at his best matchups, I know like with with uh, like week-to-week matchup data, like if you're looking for DFS stuff, you always look about like who they're lining up against. And his his resume is just riddled, like chock full of dominating 
future first round corners. Like when one of my favorite player plays from his career, he was lined up against AJ Terrell, who was a first round pick to the Falcons. And he waved over to Sam Howell before the ball was even snapped and said, basically, Hey, I'm open and just completely burned the guy on the double move and scored against, uh, against Clemson, no less. And, and, and almost basically single-handedly won the game uh, for North Carolina. So I just, I could, I could probably talk for way too long about Diamond Brown, but I just love the player and I love the opportunity and I love that he got some capital to back it up. Yeah. So, I mean, this should be a pretty interesting fit because, uh, yes, there's McLaurin there. Yes, there's Samuel, but year one, he's going to get that gunslinger in Ryan Fitzpatrick now who should allow exactly. him to make some plays. And Curtis Samuel excelled in Carolina last year, but, I think that it might be fair to say that when you're comparing Samuel and Brown, Brown is pretty realistic. He's going to step in and push Samuel down that depth chart. I think I definitely think so. And if you look, they were just desperate, desperate for any kind of decent wide receiver to play that they basically made JD McKissick, their wide receiver too, And, and Logan Thomas, this like, uh, you know, retread tight end receiving threat that, I mean, he, it was cool. He was successful last year, but I think they desperately wanted somebody to come up and just do something beyond what was, what Terry McCorn was doing. And so I think if, if we look at what Fitz has done uh, and propping up some wide receivers in, in limited windows, I think he could do that a few times with Diami Brown and people obviously thinking that McCorn is going to be the first option. That's going to open up some space for Diami Brown. And, and I, I'm confident he's going to have a significant chunk of the market share early on for the Washington football team. So uh, the, qu- the two questions I would have off of that would have off of that. If you're in a startup um, this year, is he one of those guys, because you seem to really like him, is he one of those guys that you're trying to target and get on your team? Or uh, there are there other wide receivers that might be going in that same range that you prefer? Maybe like Elijah Moore? I, st- I think I still like Elijah Moore. Yep. Uh, but there are guys I definitely like more than a bunch of the guys that they're going around. Yep. Like I think I believe Diami Brown is my, in terms of all the rookies in Superflex and tight end premium formats, uh, Diami Brown, I believe, is my 15th rookie, uh, which I believe I think I have him maybe higher than anybody else on the road of his team. Uh, but, yeah, he's somebody that I'm okay uh, reaching a little bit for just to make sure I have him on my team. I've already... I already had him on a, a couple Debbie rosters and uh, college to Canton leagues where, you know, you carry, I'm not even going to explain that, but <laughs> deep, deep, uh, deep, uh, deep nerdy fantasy football leagues. I already had him and I've already drafted him again in rookie draft season. I'm just ready to have all the Diami Brown. Absolutely love it. All right. Um, we have not talked about running backs. I feel like nearly at all uh, because I was trying to grab ones or just players here that got interesting draft capital. Uh, I want to go a little bit different direction here and talk about a player that went undrafted because he's a Rotoviz darling this year, and that is Mr. Javian Hawkins, who now ends up in Atlanta. Atlanta really deciding that they're not going to address this position in the draft. Mike Davis is there. As a team, we were talking about this over the weekend. We actually think that this could work out pretty well for Javian Hawkins. Can you just break down some of your thoughts? You know, I've talked a lot about it. Blair has written about him as well. What do you think uh, of this landing spot and Hawkins, uh, given everything we know about his profile from Louisville? 
Yeah, so Javion Hawkins was the focal point, the feature back of the Louisville offense under Scott Satterfield. Uh, Satterfield really changed things when he came in uh, and really found some instant success in uh, 2019. Uh, you know, Malik Cunningham is, is a decent quarterback, but, uh, you know, not he's basically almost like a running back in and of himself. So all the rush, rushing yards essentially came through the quarterback uh, quarterback position. And then JVN Hawkins, who's like this super undersized guy, but has a crazy high breakaway run percentage and crazy yards after contact numbers for a guy that's that small uh, and just does a lot of things well. I know you wrote things up, even in the road of his rookie guy, just talking about all the, the boxes that he yep. checks. The only thing is that, that he doesn't really do, or he hasn't proven on a large scale, is that you know a smaller guy, you normally see a better receiving profile. But that actually kind of has to do with the nature of what Satterfield has done and and not targeting the running backs. Uh, he he, I, I I wish he would actually spend some time breaking down the reasoning behind his scheme. But I think there's a reason that he doesn't. Um, if you look at the efficiency numbers of his passing, uh, even from a guy who's like not necessarily the best passer in Malik Cunningham, like just at the average depth of target and the exact route combinations, uh, his entire offense is very analytics based. Mm -hmm. And so in terms of expected values, I think that's built into how they, they structure their uh, reception distribution. Uh, And I could go on about that for a sec, but I really Hawkins can catch passes. He just hasn't done it in a large sample. So, Going into a situation where you only have Mike Davis really in front of you that I'm really worried about, uh, he's probably in the best undrafted free agent position to succeed across the entire the entirety of the NFL. Yes. I mean, I was worried about Hawkins a couple of weeks ago. Started to get a little bit worried as it looked like we just weren't going to see a draft capital that was going to allow him to prosper. Then the draft starts happening, and I'm like, come on, Javion Hawkins, Javion Hawkins, Javion Hawkins, come on, somebody draft him, somebody take a chance, somebody take a chance. And then this strange thing happens that he just ends up landing in a situation where you have this older back in front of him who's had spots where he's been good. Last year he had all kinds of opportunity, did a little bit with it, but there's really nothing that Mike Davis is doing in that Atlanta offense that says there's no way Javion Hawkins is going to come in, find time immediately, and get a useful role. So, you know, it's possible that, you know, Hawkins could have gone to another team in like round four or five and had to sit on that bench. I mean, it's very likely that this team needs to start to use him right away. So you have this really weird situation where though he's an under drafted free agent i'm actually feeling much better about him now post-draft than i thought that i ever would so i re- i really like it you're nodding your head it seems like you're pretty excited about him too you just talked about it any other thoughts on hawkins from what i said there yeah it's just like i think given his size and and how this draft season went and how this class was going to shape up at the running back position it was basically understood okay we like hawkins but he was going to be a day three guy anyway Yep. So, like, maybe if everything was perfect, he was going to be a fourth rounder. You make it to round five, it's like, eh, okay, somebody please draft him. But at the same time, round six and seven guys, like, they're the equivalent, essentially, of yep. undrafted free agents, especially in terms of hit rates and, and really meaningful NFL production. Yep. So, yeah, bring it on. Let's, let's, if I'm going to take a shot on anybody in this round six, round seven guys, like, I don't care about Gary Brightwell from Arizona. Like, get <laughs> through that. Like, it's, yeah. it's like I, I'm, I'm still believing that, that Hawkins could have a role. 
Awesome. Absolutely love it. All right. The final uh, thing that I will leave listeners with this week, and then you can maybe share a player that falls into a similar mold here, is Amon Ross St. Brown via the fact that he is going to the Detroit Lions actually crept up my board. I feel like this is a spot where uh, though Jared Goff is there and this team might not be the most exciting, we don't know exactly what they're going to do with the new coaching uh, staff in town. It's very realistic that he comes in and starts challenging Tyrell Williams and Brashad Perriman for usage and basically gets forced into being one of the players that has to get used in that offense. Yes, they have TJ Hawkinson there, but really as far as other pass catchers go, there's just not a lot there. And I I have been holding to the fact that I think St. Brown is the type of guy that uh, does have the requisite skill level to produce. So I think that we might even start to see it year one. Let me know if you're on board with that. And then after that, maybe another player we haven't mentioned, but that you think landed in a good situation. Yeah, so I think with Amon Ross St. Brown, Brown, it's interesting. He's probably got the best opportunity for receiving yard market share that he's had since high school. Uh, Just because of how the USC offense is structured, they basically spread it out all the time. There's like four wide receivers on the field at all times. They refuse, refuse (laughs) to just have the quarterback on the ball ever. It might be fourth and one half inch, and they'll be in shotgun no matter what. Four wide receivers on the field, that's just how they roll. And so the target distribution and what they ask their wide receivers to do, you're never going to see a guy take over 40% of the offense like and, and, and check all the analytics boxes that we want to see. But when you look at Amon Ra, it's a, guy, it's a guy who was like the number one wide receiver or the number two wide receiver in his entire recruiting class and smashes for a couple of years in terms of raw production. And even in a limited sample size last year was the touchdown scoring machine uh, for USC. Uh, just didn't ch- you know take a huge chunk of the offense, but he's in a situation where he could be the best wide receiver in the room, even though he didn't get the most ideal capital. So I am believing in him, and I think collectively we are like putting him yep. over some guys that got the day two capital that we like to see. So I, I, I like him a lot. Uh, but one guy I, I was not super high on throughout the process, but uh, I have to give a nod to given the opportunity. And we kind of talked this and, and talked this through, hashed this out a little bit in our ranking summit on Saturday night. Uh, but uh, Mari Rogers goes to the Packers. That's a situation <laughs> where, okay, well, he's he's in a good spot with, you know, it, Today, as of this recording, Aaron Rodgers is still the quarterback. Uh, Devontae <laughs> Adams hasn't decided to check out, although he was cryptically tweeting uh, this week about, you know, you got to appreciate stuff while you have it. Uh, but, uh, you know, Amari Rodgers looks to be in a situation where he could have some pretty decent target share, if, unless you're really believing in, you know, Alan Lazard or uh, Marcos Valdez Scantling uh, or somebody else there. But he looks like he could be the wide receiver too for Green Bay. And even though, he was basically never the guy until his final season for Clemson. He was competing with a bunch of really good future NFL wide receivers like T, T. Higgins, for instance. Next year, we're going to see Justin Ross, another guy who's mm-hmm. uh, coming out mm-hmm. next year who he was competing with. So a really competitive wide receiver room. And he finally broke out this uh, past year. It goes to a great situation. So we just basically have to go, okay, I, even though he doesn't have a perfect profile that we like to check analytically, we kind of have to move him up a, a little bit up the board. Yeah, so it was really funny because, um, you know, on one hand, uh, you know, Curtis was really behind uh, Amari when we were going back and forth making the case. Blair and Sean had him pretty low. I think I was kind of like in the middle and then I was a little bit 
uncomfortable about how high I had originally slated him, him in when the argument started happening. So I guess, you know, he's one of those players that's probably going to end up being one of the more divisive players that we've seen. Now, we know that the Packers, for a number of years, have tried to, without really investing in the position, get a second player in there. Could it be Amari? We don't really know. The final question I have about him, though, is he also worked at his pro day as a running back. Uh, Mm -hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Like, do you think that given a function of that, he's the type of player that teams should be trying to use as more than just a receiver? Yeah, I mean, like, if you just plug in a few different things and look at him uh, just like with his height and weight, he looks like Ty Montgomery. Like, Mm -hmm. Ty Montgomery was a guy who came in, uh, he was a wide receiver, but he was built like a running back. And so they're like, um, yeah, let's just put you at running back. And that kind of stuck. And so I think that could definitely happen with Amari Rogers. Uh, it was funny. Just, just this past Saturday, I was talking about Amari Rogers to a buddy uh, who actually had the opportunity to play against and lose against Amari Rogers in high school. Uh, and, and he was just talking about how ridiculous Amari was just mm-hmm. taking carries out of the backfield, uh, to, you know, getting deep targets, burning everyone all over the field, and then playing the other side of the ball. And this was when Amari was a true freshman. Like, he's just been balling for forever. Former four-star kid, uh, you know, just entered a really competitive wide receiver room, didn't check a bunch of boxes. But I think he could he could be a running back. Uh, for them if, if they wanted him to be um, but I think somehow some way he's going to have a role so I, I we're probably all still a little bit too low on it all right all right well I think that's a perfectly fair way to end this uh, hey Travis it was awesome having you on um, the next time Curtis is not around I'm definitely going to be uh, shooting you a message seeing if we can get you back I know I've now asked you to do this multiple times but for the <laughs> final time I would just want to make sure that people know where they can find you and what you're up to Sure. And this time I'll actually uh, say where they can find me in, in its entirety. So you can find me most of my work written on rotoviz.com. Yep. I decided to kind of stop writing for several places and write for one. And it's been fantastic. Rotoviz.com got the top 100 rookie series uh, coming out in a few different segments here. I'm not, you know, depending on when you listen to it, uh, it's got individual defensive players and offensive players. So if you just want to learn about some fun defensive names or, you know, take a look at basically my top 60 offensive rookies as well, that'll be coming out soon. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at FF underscore Travis M on clubhouse at Titan Travis. And you can check out my podcast, the college to Canton podcast, basically talking about the journey for prospects from recruit through college, all the way to discussions as to if they should be in the hall of fame or not. Uh, it's a lot of fun. It's on road of his radio talk about everything through a fantasy football lens, but everything college football and NFL. Cause that's my thing, but uh, appreciate you having me on, man. Yeah, no, this, this was awesome. Uh, appreciate it. We will look forward to getting you back sometime in the future. Have a good weekend, everyone. Thanks for listening to the Rotoviz Fantasy Football Show. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe. Follow us on Twitter at DaveKabenFF and at CPatrickNFL. Email us at rotovizffshow at gmail.com. Visit rotoviz.com forward slash podcast for more information on listener-only discounts. And until next time, thanks for stopping by.